Amen. Praise the Lord. Good to see you this morning and uh, welcome to you all. Thank you to all of our worship leaders, our instrumentalists, our vocalists, all the good work that they do in leading us in worship each week. Let's give a hand right now for them. We have uh, worship leaders on three campuses this morning and so we're grateful for them. And I'm excited to be with you today. For those of you who don't know me or don't maybe recognize me because you don't see me very often, my name's Mike Taylor, and I am your missions pastor. And so very excited to be with you this morning. Uh, We serve, my wife and I, Mary, are here with you today. We serve out at our Southwest campus on Sunday mornings. And I kind of figured that our campuses might be lulling off this morning. I don't know about you, but my normal routine on Sundays, I wake up at 5. So that means today, my body said 4. I did not want to get out of the bed. I'll be honest with you. But praise the Lord, I'm here, I'm standing, I'm breathing, and it's all good. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to give a shout out to both of our other venues. So here's what we're going to say together, just real quick. We're going to say, wake up, Life Point, all together. Ready? Say it. Wake up, Life Point. All right, and then I want you to say, wake up, Southwest. Here we go. Ready? Wake up, Southwest. Hey, let's give a shout out to those campuses. All right? Listen, these are opportunities that we have Uh, throughout the week to see God reach more people for the gospel. That's what we're here for, amen? To worship God, to bring Him glory, to love Him, and then to see all people everywhere reached with the gospel. So those other campuses, LifePoint and the Southwest campuses, are ways that we can do that and ways that we can be a part of that. So I'm very excited to be with you this morning and uh, just so thrilled to be able to share with you from God's Word Today, God is leading us to focus on being in the harvest. Pastor David asked me probably about a month ago if I'd be willing to uh, fill in for him today. And then I'll be preaching tonight uh, a message that's called Come to the Party. And you want to be a part of that tonight at 6 p.m. But this morning, God, he just really clearly said, I want you to talk about being in the harvest. And so I've known that for quite a few weeks now and uh, how we're going to talk about that. And specifically, I want us to think about how we as believers, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, can have a heart for the harvest. How we can have a heart for the harvest. I read a story uh, about a pastor who was out in the harvest, and he was doing some visiting, and he came by one of his church members' homes and decided to stop by for a visit. It was a Saturday afternoon. He knocked on the door, and he could tell that somebody was home. It was very obvious, but nobody came to the door, and he knocked several times. And so he had his business card, and he got it out, and he wrote the verse Revelation 3.20 on the back of the card, and it said this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Well, nothing happened, and so he left. The next day at church, his card showed up in the offering plate. And below the preacher's message was written the following quote from Genesis 3.10. I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. (laughs) So listen, Uh, thank you. (laughs) My kids always get on to me when I preach about telling these corny jokes. But there's one lady out at Southwest. She always laughs at my jokes. So I love you, Peggy. Good to see you this morning. Anyway, uh, God does want us to get out into the harvest. 
He wants us to go and to share the gospel, to connect with people. Uh, and he wants us especially, and, I, and, and this is what I want us to find out this morning, is it's not a natural thing for us, I'll be honest with you. I'm an introvert myself. And so being out in the harvest is not the first thing that I want to do. And so there has to be, there must be a transforming work of God, changing our natural inclinations to something supernatural. It's going to take a work of God. How can I have a heart for the harvest? That's what we're talking about this morning. As many of you know, uh, my wife Mary and I uh, and our kids, we were church planters in Oregon. We served there for 13 years, and uh, we had the blessing and privilege of seeing a church started there. Westside Baptist Church, you came out there several times. You partnered with us. You were a part of that ministry. But one of the things that a church planter does, one of the things you have to do foundationally at the start is you have to gather what's called a core group. And a core group, those are the people who will be the essential volunteers, the workers. Those are the people that help get that church off the ground. And Mary and I, we went to what's called church planting boot camp. Doesn't that sound fun? It was. It was a blast. And uh, over time, we learned about different ways to gather a core group. Now, one of the ways that I learned about was what's called the farming method. And for those of you who are maybe our salespersons involved in the sales force, you, you know all about this. You make cold calls. And being an introvert, that was the last thing that I wanted to do. I'll be honest with you. The farming method, when I heard that, when I learned about it, I thought, well, praise the Lord. We're not going to be doing that. I was so grateful for that. One of the ways that I liked and we adopted, Mary and I said, this is what we're going to do. It's called dinner and a movie or dinner and a ball game. And what you did is you rent a local restaurant and then you invite the community to come and you share with them about God's vision, about what you're doing with the new church plant. And then you give them tickets to a ball game, maybe the Portland Trailblazers where we were at in Oregon, or maybe to go see a movie. And so every time that I would sit down to do the plans to write out the details for that dinner and a movie, dinner and a ball game plan, I, it just, it wasn't working. If you're working on something, you feel like, this isn't what I'm supposed to do. And so I'd set it aside, and it had to happen. And so we'd come back, and I'd pray, and just nothing. It was dead. Well, after three or four times, and I remember one evening specifically, I was sitting at the kitchen counter, plans all out in front of me, praying, writing, and I looked at Mary and I said, Honey, I don't think we're supposed to do this dinner and a movie thing. And she said, Well, what do you think we're supposed to do? And I said, I don't know. But God seems to say, Don't do this. So the next morning, God didn't wait very long, okay? The next morning, I was having my quiet time, and I was reading the passage of Scripture where it says, Go ye therefore into the world and invite people and compel them to come to my house. And I thought, oh, man, you want us to do the farming method. And that's what God wanted us to do. Man, Holy Spirit was so powerful. And God was saying, this is what I want you to do. And if you'll obey me, I'll bless so we did that, and we saw God's blessing upon that work. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times, you know, when we get that sense of God's call and God saying go, and I'm like, ah, oh, wow, that's hard. That's exactly what we're doing at our Southwest campus. We're going out into the neighborhoods. 
We're sharing the gospel. And we're very excited about that. I'm going to share a little bit about that with you this morning. How can I have a heart for the harvest when my heart isn't in the right place? And I'll tell you, at that time in my life, my heart was not in the right place. God had to do a transformation in my life. And when we will, listen, when we will take the time to read God's word, to, to study and to find ourselves approved, and to line up our lives with what he's saying in his word, then God's spirit will compel us and we'll find ourselves able to go even when it's difficult. So maybe that's you this morning. I want to help you with that. I want me to ask you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, very familiar passages of Scripture. Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. This morning we're just asking the simple question, how can I have a heart for the harvest? How can I join God in his mission? Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Hey, here's the first thing I want us to see. How can I have a heart for the harvest? First, ask for God's compassion for those who are lost. Ask for God's compassion for those who are lost. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Starting in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Right away here, Jesus is modeling for us We see that he is going to the people. He's going to where people are. And for the same reasons, that's why we need to go to where people are at. This is something I've shared with you before, but I want to mention it again. There has been this crazy flip-flop or this crazy switch in our culture It's just kind of wild change about how people view the church today. This Just this one statistic just really blows my mind. Listen to this. In the 1950s, 99% of people in our country here in the U.S., if they were not involved in a local church, 99% of them, if a friend or a family member or a co-worker, someone they had a relationship with, invited them to church, they would come. 99% of people would come in the 1950s. Now today, and here's the change. Today that number is only 40%. 40% of people who are not involved in church, if you invite them, they'll come. Wow. What an incredible shift in these decades. And here's the reason why. Because people no longer value church. Maybe there's that disconnect or that hurt from a church experience. But they no longer look to the church to find answers to the questions, the hurt that's in their hearts. Now, here's an exciting statistic that I love. And one we're actually seeing lived out in our work. 60% of people... If you ask them 
Would they be willing to get together with you personally, meet at a Starbucks, go to their house, them come to your house, and just study the Bible together? Talk about spiritual things. They will say yes. 60%. They might not follow you to church, but they will stay with you to study the Bible and to talk about God. And this is not just a uh, a lifeless statistic. Yeah, you know the word. Statistic, that word always gets me. It's something we're seeing lived out. Just a couple of weeks ago, we were doing a harvest outreach day at our campus. We're doing one again this Saturday out at our Southwest campus. And a couple of us were out knocking on doors. And we were able to connect with about 14 people. 14 people we connected with. Hey, how you doing? We're from Westside Baptist Church. We're here praying for you, talking with folks about Jesus Christ. Could we ask you a few questions? Just real simple. Talk with them. Of those 14 that we talked with, eight of them said, would you come back? Eight of the 14, that's over 60%. I was like, wow, that's a real number. It's not just some figment of some guy's imagination, you know, I think. No, that's very real. If we'll engage people where they're at and share with them the hope that we have found in Christ, they want to know more because, listen, people are hungry. People are thirsty for the Lord. So we see this happening. People might not want to come to church with us, but many of them are open to studying the Bible, to talking about God. And this just blows my mind. And this is something that the Holy Spirit has been speaking into my heart. I want you to hear this this morning. This is what God's saying. God is saying, if we'll go out into the harvest, he will bring fruit. Multiplication of disciples is in the harvest. But I want you to notice right here, Jesus' heart for people. It says here that he's going from village to village. And when he saw the people, he had compassion for them. The word for compassion here literally means to be moved to one's bowels. Jesus is moved from the innermost part of his being with compassion for people who are lost and without hope. This is a powerful word, compassion. And I want you to notice some other places in Scripture where we see it, the same word that's used here in Matthew and what it leads to. First, compassion leads to action. Matthew 14, 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, Jesus. And he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Jesus did something with that compassion. It wasn't just sitting there and thinking, ah, that's terrible. No, he took action. He did something. We need to do the same. The action uh, and the compelling of compassion will lead us to call others to action, like I'm doing with you today, Matthew 1532, then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And you know the story. This is one of those places in the scripture where Jesus did a miracle. He fed thousands of people with just a little bit of food. But guess who distributed the food? The disciples. He's calling all of us to take action. It's not just a spectator sport, not just sitting back and watching, but he's inviting all of us to take action. This compassion will lead to the proclamation of the gospel. Mark 6, 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them 
Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. The compassion of Christ will lead us to teach and to lead others. I have the blessed opportunity with meeting with some folks on a regular basis to disciple them. One of them is a college student that I meet with on Fridays for lunch. And each week we just talk about life. And he shares with me, man, this is what's going on in my life right now. Here's where I'm struggling. And it is a joy to be able to share with him from God's word and saying, dude, here's how you can find hope in the Lord. Compassion leads to teaching and proclamation. Fourth, compassion will lead to understanding. Hebrews 4.15, speaking of Christ, says, For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Because Christ lived an earthly life, he knows exactly the pains, the struggles, the heartache, the joys, the sorrows of what it means to live on this earth as a human being. He knows exactly what you're going through right now. He knows your heart. He knows where you're at today. I pray that you would find hope and comfort in that knowledge. That you would fully, I love that song, leaning on the everlasting arms. You would fully lean into Christ Because he knows what you're going through. And then, when he transforms our hearts, he enables us to also understand others. And to be able to offer that same hope that he has blessed you with. And he wants you, Ron, he wants you to take that and bring that hope to a person in your life who's hurting. And then compassion leads to mercy. Hebrews 5.2, again, the writer, speaking of Jesus, says, He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Jesus has mercy on you and I. We do not get what we deserve because he experienced the same trials on this life on earth. And that same mercy that he has shown to you, he wants you to then turn and show it to others. Amen? So we see here this kind of panorama of compassion. Now, compassion itself, if you try to muster that up, okay, okay, pastor, I hear you, I'll have more compassion now, you'll fall flat every time. Because this compassion only finds its source in the Lord Jesus Christ. It only finds its source in Christ himself. Because our tendency will be to move towards pride and selfishness. We, we just, that is our natural fleshly inclination. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I'm sorry, but you can be a little selfish sometimes. Go ahead, tell your neighbor that right now. And so listen, Jesus Christ can fix that, okay? He can change that. He can transform that. I need Christ to transform my life. 
I need the gospel, the power of God in my life, changing my heart, changing my compassion. I cannot produce godly passion in and of myself. And so we need the work of the gospel changing us to be more compassionate. That we would have, listen, the compassion of Jesus. How can I have the compassion of Jesus? Is when he instills that by the power of his Holy Spirit within me. And so first, what do we need to do? We pray for Christ to give us his compassion. Now I want to give you a little action step here. About uh, a couple of years ago, when I began to learn about this whole process of making disciples who are making disciples... One of the things that the guy who was mentoring me, who was coaching me, taught me how to do, he says, Mike, I want you to make uh, what's called uh, an oikos list or a far from God list. And these are just people in my life that don't know the Lord. People in my life, uh, maybe family members or coworkers or neighbors or friends. And so I want to ask you, I want to encourage you, make that list. We call it a far from God list or an oikos list. Not necessarily people who are lost, it could be. A lot of times here in the South when we talk about, do you have any lost friends? And most of us say, no, I don't know any. All my friends are saved. But do you know someone who made a commitment to Christ at one time and has slowly over time drifted away from that commitment? All of us could raise our hand. And so I want to encourage you to make that list. But here's what's happened in my life. I want to encourage you to begin to pray for the people on that list on a regular basis. If you can, pray for them every day. And so when I began to pray for those folks, I just began to pray and ask that God would save them. But here's what's happened. Every time that I pick up that list, this starts to happen. I just start to weep and cry for their souls. That is not something that I did. That's what God does. He will change your heart. But you need to clear the decks and say, Lord, change me. I don't have your heart for people. Something's wrong with me if I don't care about the lost people around me. And I recognize that in my own life. And I said, Jesus, change me. And this one simple action will change your life. And as you begin to pray for these people on a regular basis, you're going to find your heart broken. The church today in the United States, listen, needs a burden for the lost. Amen? We need a burden for the lost. So first, ask God to give you his compassion. Secondly, ask for God to give you spiritual eyes to see those around you who are lost. Going on in verse 38, Jesus then says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus Christ could see something that his disciples and those around him could not see. He had a a burden, a heart. He could see on the faces of people the hurt, the pain, the struggles, the sorrows that they were experiencing, and his heart was broken for them. He had spiritual eyes to see the lost And so we need to ask him for that same ability again. This is the power of the gospel transforming us. I I can't produce this. I think one of the most threatening, most devastating 
works of the devil against this is busyness. We're so busy. Our lives are driven by such hecticness that we are passing by people all along every day that need hope, that need Christ. And we're, I don't know about you, but we're just flying. How can that change? How can that stop? John chapter 4, a great passage of Scripture, gives us Jesus talking to the woman, we say the woman at the well. My parents used to sing this folk song. I think maybe it's by Peter, Paul, and Mary. It's called Jesus Met the Woman at the Well. Um, and so every time I read that story, I'm hearing that song, Jesus. Anyway, that's just my weirdness for you there. Jesus gives us this great example of how to talk to someone about the gospel, how to start a spiritual conversation. But the thing about this story that sometimes we miss and we kind of drive by is that you know that Jesus was going from Judea into Galilee and normally you would not go through Samaria because the Jewish people did not like the Samaritans. They just really despised them, hated them. But Jesus chose to go into Samaria, and they're going to this village called Sychar, Sychar, something like that. And so it's lunchtime, and so Jesus stops, and he's at a well, and he says to the disciples, go on into town. I don't know. They probably didn't have a subway, but he's, you know, go get some subway and come on back, and let's have some lunch together. And so the disciples are heading into town, and then from town, here comes this woman, the woman at the well, and Jesus has this conversation with her. And it's this incredible conversation, and it ends up, she ends up believing in Jesus as the Messiah. She goes back to her city, she shares her testimony, and they all come out to see Jesus too. And he ends up staying there for a couple of days, hanging out with these folks and just pouring into their lives. But after the woman had left, so she goes back into town, the disciples get back. And they've got the food, and they're all sitting there, and Jesus isn't eating. They're like, hey, Lord, you need to eat. You haven't eaten. And Jesus says, I have food. You guys are you're missing this. I have food that you do not understand. And they're like, is, is there a sandwich shop right over here? Did someone else get Jesus something to eat? And then he says, men, women, children. I added those, okay? The fields are white unto harvest. Do you not see? And he was actually speaking to them because guess what? I don't know this, but I can just see this in my imagination. There go the disciples heading into town. Guess who they pass by coming to the well? This woman. They're so busy. They're so focused on what they're going to do that they miss the opportunity Jesus was saying to them, you had the same opportunity to, mish- to, to impact this lady with the gospel that I have. You had that same opportunity and you missed it. And here's what I wonder. I want you to ask yourself this question. How many times do I miss an opportunity to impact someone's life because I'm so focused on myself? Or so focused on where I'm going. Can I say something? We've got to get our heads out of our iPhones. Out of our iPads. Or whatever it is that we're staring at while we're going along the way. And if we would just take the time to see the people around us. The hurt that's in their lives. 
this simple prayer when you're at a restaurant. Hey, we're about to pray for this food. Is there something in your life we could pray for? I don't know how many times people, when we ask them that, a waiter or a waitress, and they just start crying. Just because somebody cares or because they realize, wait, there's a God who loves me and who cares for the things in my life. And we can be the the touch point to help remind them that there's a God who loves them. We want to ask God to give us spiritual eyes to see those around us who are in desperate need of the gospel. I want to share with you what we call the brutal facts of lostness in Gainesville proper. These are the brutal facts of lostness. Currently, our population is somewhere around 127,500 or so, close to 128,000. Statistically, according to a recent study, and this is for Gainesville, Florida, 35% record that they have no faith in God at all. They do not participate in any kind of religious or spiritual uh, groups. That's about 45,000 people in Gainesville that are utterly lost. There are another 30% that say they have some faith, a, a nominal connection to a group to a church. I don't know and I don't want to judge at all. But I would say many are probably only Christian in name. There's no connection. That's another 38,000 people. If we were to add that all together, that's 82,800 people. About 60%, and we don't know that exactly But 50 to 60% of people in Gainesville, 82,000 people. If at the end of their life, they have not heard and responded to the gospel. If we believe what the Bible says is true. They're going to hell. I don't, I don't want to. Just stand by and watch that happen. We have to go. We must go. Christ's love compels us. Look away from the selfishness, from the pride. Focus your eyes on Christ and ask him to give you eyes to see. Maybe just one of those 82,000 people that needs Christ this week. It reminds me of one of my favorite stories. There was a little boy who was walking along a beach one day, and this particular beach had a kind of this seasonal thing that would happen where thousands and thousands of starfish would be thrust up onto the beach by the waves and then left on the sand to dry out in the sun to die. And this little boy would walk up to a starfish and gently pick it up and cradle it in his hands. And he'd take it out into the surf far enough and he'd put it down into the water where it could survive and live. And so he was just doing that, going back and forth. And this grumpy old guy came along, saw the kid doing it and thought, this kid's crazy. What is he doing? 
So he felt compelled to just go up and tell him how crazy he was. And so he says, hey, you can't make a difference here. You can't save all these starfish. What do you think you're doing? Little boy just ignores him, reaches down, gently cradles another starfish, takes it, puts it down into the water, looks up at the grumpy old guy and he says, it sure made a difference for that one. You can make a difference in someone's life. What if this year, just one, there's enough of us in this room right now, enough at our LifePoint campus, enough at our Southwest campus, you can make a difference. How many people could be reached with the gospel? 82,000 in this city lost without Christ. We need to ask for Christ to give us his compassion for the loss, his heart. We need to ask him to give us his spiritual eyes so that we can see the needs of others around us. And then here's the third thing. Ask God to send his workers into the harvest. Matthew 9:38. Jesus at the conclusion of the matter says, "Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, this word earnest here means with sincere and intense conviction. With sincere and intense, intense conviction. Would you be willing to join me in that prayer? Would you be willing to join me in praying for the Lord to send workers into the harvest And let me give you some specifics if you want to take some notes here. This is our mission's vision for 2017. Our mission's vision. We want to see 300 people from Westside going into the community and participating in what we call servant evangelism projects. We used to call these I-serves. Same thing. 300 of us going into the community and sharing and, and ministering to people with the love of Christ. And we do that through our life groups. We also want to train 100 people in evangelism and in discipleship. That's through our GROW ministry and through our discipleship ministries. We want to train 100 people how to share the gospel. And then when they have the joy of seeing one of those folks come to Christ, to begin to disciple them and teach them and train them like I'm doing with my friend on Fridays. We've asked and we're praying for God to send 75 people to go this year on short-term mission trips. That's a 50% increase. Last year we had about 50 folks go. We're asking that 75 would go. You're going to have a lot of opportunities to hear about that at Mission Fest in a couple of weeks. We're asking God to raise up four missionaries from our church family here that they would then be trained and equipped to go and take the gospel to the nations. We already have one that's come forward this year and we've begun to work with that person and we're beginning to train that person and I don't want to spoil it so I'm not going to say anything more. You'll get to hear that person's story at Mission Fest. These are the things that we are seeking God and praying for as our missions department. That's our vision. And so I want to ask you to pray for that. Pray that God would raise up workers to go on these projects to serve and love people in Gainesville. And maybe you'd be a part of those projects. You can. They're very simple. 
Ask for God to bring that. Pray for uh, our evangelism, for our discipleship training, that God would raise up those who would actively be involved in sharing the gospel. And pray for folks to go on short-term missions and for those God is calling to be sent out of Westside. And then I ask you to pray for Mission Fest. And you can do that with the little card that we gave you today. It's in your life guide And take that and just begin to pray over that and ask for this outpouring of God's Holy Spirit, His anointing upon that. Be praying for that. We have a gift for you today. This is a uh, mission stress ball, okay? So you take it, you know. For those of you who don't deal with stress, you don't need to pick this up. But for the rest of us, grab one of these today on your way out. We've got folks at every exit. And uh, just take this and every time... You, you get it and you're squeezing it and then say, oh, that's right. Pastor Mike said pray. So you're going to pray, Lord, be with Mission Fest <laughs> and pray for that. Hey, this would have been cool. Uh, they actually make a stress ball Gatlin gun. They do. It's got a, a barrel on it like this and you fill it up with a little hopper. Because I was thinking, you know, because the team was asking, hey, Mike, how can we pass out the stress balls? I was thinking, let's do like one of them concerts where they throw the stuff out to everybody. I said, well, we can get a gun. And our tech uh, AV minister, Mike Justice, immediately went online and he said, they make a stress ball gun. <laughs> but it was $4,000. So we thought, probably not. But, you know, man, would that be cool? So anyway... Don't donate for that, okay? We're going we're gonna to send missionaries across the world. We're not going to use those. Hey, and then next Saturday, we're going again into the harvest. And I want to invite you. For some of you, you're kind of like, ah, oh, man, Mike, I'm kind of like you, that introvert. Hey, what a great way to, to work through that. But for some of you, going into the harvest, you're excited. It's like, sign me up. And next Saturday, we're going to start at our Southwest campus at 9.30. We're going to do some training. And then we're going to go out for about two hours, sharing the gospel, knocking on doors, asking how we can minister to folks and pray for them. So I want to invite you to be a part of that. And here's the deal. I think as we begin to engage in these things, as we begin to pray and step out in obedience, some of you, God is calling in your life. God's calling you for your whole life to be about the harvest. I think all of us can be involved in the harvest. But some of you, God's calling specifically into the harvest. In 1987, I was 24 years old. I had recently moved to Gainesville. I had just recommitted my life to Christ. And I began to attend a church down on Newberry Road. Maybe you've heard of it. It was called Westside Baptist. And that church, I began to hear the voice of the Lord calling me into the harvest. And I got to tell you, I really wrestled with that call because I already had a plan for my life. I had moved to Gainesville to go to the University of Florida. I wanted to be an engineer. I was going to own my father's business. I would inherit it. My life was set up. And then God began to speak to me. I want you to go into the harvest. I want you to be a minister of the gospel. And I... I said, God, I've already got this all figured out. Thank you. But the more I wrestled with it, the more I realized, I wonder if this is God's call. And here's what changed it for me. Listen. I saw my life, and I looked ahead 20, 30, 40 years. And I said, Lord, 
I don't want to look back with regret. I don't want to look back in 20 or 30 or 40 years and say, what did I miss because I was not obedient to you today? And so I wonder this morning, is God speaking to your heart? Is he beginning to work in your life? Do you hear God calling? For some of you this morning, as I've talked about this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the comfort that comes from Christ, you've realized that you don't have that in your life. And so God's call to you this morning is an invitation to salvation in Christ. To receive the Lord, we need to do two things. Turn from our sins, repent from our sins, and say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you the rest of my life. Come into my life and be the Lord and leader and be my boss. Some of us, God's calling to salvation. Some of you, God's calling you to recommit your life to Christ like I did back in 1987. He's speaking to your heart today. I know exactly how you feel. I I wasn't sitting in one of these chairs, but was down the road. But I clearly heard God's voice. Maybe you're wrestling this morning. I want to invite you to respond to God. Do you hear the voice of God calling you today? For some of us, we need to ask Christ for his compassion We need to ask Christ to give us his spiritual eyes to see the needs of people around us. And we need to ask him to send his workers into the fields because the harvest is ready. Amen? Would you pray with me? So, Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that we would respond to you as you've spoken to our hearts this morning. Have this time, Lord God, whatever you're saying to us. May we respond. Lead us with your spirit. And it's in Christ's holy name that we pray. Amen.